Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this another amazing podcast episode. And this episode is going to be a special episode, just as usual. By the end of the month, I usually do a guest interview, as you guys may know. And today's guest is Patrick Senahan. And he has written this amazing book. You should really check it out. It's an amazing book on how to be a better procrastinator, dealing with procrastination and how to get things done. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ronit. Uh, glad to be here. That's great. So, starting off with this uh, thing, I just wanted to inform you, you guys, all you guys who are hearing me out and hearing Patrick out, the entire thing that we're going to talk about, the topic is going to be procrastination. Now, this topic is not that kind of a topic that I have touched up upon that much. And that's really good. And Patrick can really help me in this, you know, in this topic a lot. And he can really give a lot of good opinions and for a good perspective and strategies for you guys to you know like get out that procrastinating habit and you know just work on yourself and being able to get things done quicker and more efficiently so that's really great so starting off something that i was like very very like curious about was why the name how to be a better procrastinator well it comes from uh, my own experience as what I call myself a productive procrastinator. And even though I still procrastinate, uh, I've been very productive. I've written 12 books and 50, 60 published articles, and I manage a very complex consulting business. And I still procrastinate and uh, usually around income taxes, getting all those financial details together and putting invoices together, you know, uh, organizing mileage and flights and things like that. I tend to try to avoid it. The other parts of my life, I've, I'm very effective. I don't procrastinate, but those are two areas I still have challenge with. So the book is all about how do you manage your procrastination? Uh, in my experience, you don't get rid of it. Uh, it's kind of always there, like a smoking habit almost. And this gives you some some lessons and some ideas and some practices that actually work around managing your procrastination. Yeah, it really makes sense. sense you know, like... Whenever people talk about getting rid of procrastination, they're talking about getting rid of something that's bad for us. You know, it's like, it's your, you're almost saying that get rid of part of who you are, you know, it's, right. it's, some, it's, it's in our nature, you know, it's something with, from within. And, you know, if you don't procrastinate, you don't go to vacations, you don't go to holidays, you don't take a break and stuff. So if you're telling to people that get rid of you know, procrastination forever, basically you're telling them to be workaholics. That's not good either, you know? Right, that's and not that good. Makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, what we tend to do around it is we tend to procrastinate around things we don't find very fun or interesting. That could be overwhelming, it'd be too detailed, too big of a task, something we don't understand. So most of the time we get very overwhelmed, a lot of anxiety and stress, and then we put it off. And that's, the real important thing for your listeners to understand is the minute you put it off or the second you put it off, all those feelings of anxiety and stress and dread and overwhelm completely disappear. And whew, you feel 100% better. Now, intellectually, you know, oh, I still got to do it. But in the emotional moment right now, there's relief. 
And that's what keeps the procrastination cycle going. The yeah, sense it's of like a, it's like a painkiller. Yes. Right. Yeah. You don't feel I feel a lot better now. Once again, in my head, I know, oh boy, I still have to do my income taxes. But right now I feel fine. Yeah. And relieved. Definitely. Makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it can be addicted, you know, like it's an habit, right? It's an addiction kind of a thing. You know, you you set it off, you say that I'll do it tomorrow, and then do tomorrow you say I'll do it day after, and then it goes on. It's like a painkiller. Like you're not treating the problem, you're treating the symptom. That's all the tra trauma and the stress and stuff, but you're not dealing with it in the first place by not, yeah. by doing that task itself and completing it off. Right, and we oftentimes, and this is the research is supported this, once you tackle the task, not the whole thing maybe, you use you know some strategies like chewable chunks, 15 minutes, I sit down and do my income taxes, I don't try to do it for seven or eight hours, I will never do that. But for 15 minutes, I can do that. And it breaks the cycle of procrastination. For, for that particular task. And that's an important concept, this notion of chewable chunks. Almost everything can be chopped up in smaller pieces, whether that be product or process or time. And it's the notion around procrastination that's so important is finishing. So don't beat yourself up because you didn't finish it exactly today. If you made some progress, that's a victory. Yeah, definitely. Like break it up in like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, at least do the thing at least do the thing and what you'll find oftentimes is that if you do something uh you find well this is not so terrible and sometimes not all the time sometimes you'll continue and what the research indicates is sometimes the anticipation of the task is so, uh, much worse than the task itself so just kind of getting into it and starting it and get a little bit of movement like you said 5 10 15 minutes i tend to work in 15 minute increments when i'm writing or doing research uh, is enough to get you going in a little bit of a flow. And it's a powerful notion in that a lot of procrastinators think that you have to feel motivated to be able to do the task. And that's backward thinking. It's not good thinking. What you have to do is do some action, as you mentioned. And once you act, you get more motivated. So it's not motivation before action. It's action produces motivation and movement. Yeah, it, same goes with like things, right? Get, you know, making your life better and stuff. So people try to look for motivation. They go for motivational quotes. Like there are so many communities out there who just yeah. keep posting like, um, you know, motivation quotes. It's like, you know, shots of espresso, you know, you'll get motivated. Right. You'll be like, yes, just do, let's do this thing. And then after some time, you'll want more motivational quotes. It's just bad. Exactly. Just doing the task itself, even in small increments, can get momentum going and feel accomplished. When you f finish a task you don't like, usually you feel great. Thank God it's over. But if you keep on putting it off, it, it's I call it the shadow. The shadow is already there. So if I get away from my income tax and I go see a sports with some buddies of mine, I'm not fully enjoying the experience because I'm saying I should be doing my income tax. Mm -hmm. So it, it's haunting, you know, and the shadow is always there. So that's get rid of that and, and you'll people will just feel a lot better. Yeah, definitely. And having small goals really works out as well. You know, many Absolutely. people do that. They have a challenging goal, which some like they know from within, like they, they don't know, might, they might not know consciously that they will not be able to make it, but they still keep that goal in the hopes that they will be able to make it. And as soon as they don't make it, they'll beat themselves up on it. And then they'll procrastinate even more because of that pain that they felt from not completing it. Absolutely. And I think there's, you, you're speaking about an important point. A lot of procrastinators are very over aspirational. We have way too many goals. We try to do too much. 
you know, that FOMO, fear of missing out and doing this and doing this and losing weight and learning a language and learning how to dance and writing a book. And the theories, I mean, the, the research says that if you have fewer goals and give yourself more time, like cut your goals in half, you'll have a very productive and happy life. And we're usually pretty bad at estimating, and this is uh, Daniel Kahneman, he, he won a Nobel Prize for this theory and one of his theories, is that we are horrible, most of us, at estimating how hard something's going to be and how long it's going to take. So you say, oh, this is going to just take me an hour, that's, I can do that. And then three hours into it, you're feeling like you're drowning because that initial estimation was completely off. So one of the things you can do is get a thought partner, a friend or a buddy and say, okay, I think this is going to take an hour. And hopefully, like you were my uh, thought partner, you might, would say, I don't think so, Pat. The last time you did that, it took four hours. So you got to get a reality check here. So getting a reality check from a thought partner is a very smart thing for everybody, but especially for procrastinators because you try to achieve too much. Yeah, definitely. Like getting an idea of how much you can actually do and then just hope that you can do that much really doesn't make sense. Yes. I For years, I had uh, 10 agenda items uh, in my work life every day. And I don't know where I came up with the number 10. I must have read it from a book or something like that. And I'd go through my day and I'd get to number seven and number eight and I'd be exhausted. And I'd feel like a failure because I didn't get number nine and 10. Well, that's ridiculous. So now I try to do five or six max. And 90% of the time, I accomplish all five or six almost every day. And I feel like I've really been successful. That's really a, it's a, it's a powerful feeling. It's a powerful feeling. So cut down your goals and give yourself more time. Like even like people who go on the other side, you know, like let's say that they have kept these, you know, goals and they somehow achieve it. They just push themselves to the limit that they shouldn't have and they achieve those goals. They keep doing this again and again and again and again and again to the point that it's really stressing and it's not helping them out. Yes, I, I agree 100 percent with that. And it's it, every day is full of pain. You know, you're just trying to accomplish more and accomplish more. Try to figure out what's really important to you. That's what, and that's not easy to do because people are telling you all kinds of things, but figuring out what's important for you and being more gentle to yourself about what you can really accomplish is really, really important. And getting to this treadmill of more, more, more and going up the career ladder. And I work with a lot of top executives and most of them are unhappy, very successful. They make a lot of money. They have two and three homes, but they're not happy. And oftentimes many of these are men. I also consult with women, uh, their families, they don't know their kids because they were in this treadmill and this career thing and the ambition and they were trying to, you know, take care of their family. I get that piece that it wasn't ill-intentioned, but you know, if you're 60 years old and your kid's getting married and they're not really connected to you anymore, it's very hard to reimagine the relationship. So slow it down and really pay attention to the relationships. It, it's, it leads to a happier life. Yeah. Like fulfillment, you know, the point is fulfillment here, not success. Many people follow success so much that they completely forget fulfillment. You know, yes. like you got to take time for yourself. You got to think about happiness. Happiness yep. does not come from success. Sure. It might come for like a week or two weeks, but that's about it. You know, fulfillment is long-term. You feel yes. happy for a longer time. You feel grateful. Grateful is a powerful notion. I really like that notion. If you feel great, most of us are pretty blessed. You know, uh, we have a home, uh, we have a place to live. We have enough food. Not everyone. I mean, I get that. And we're very fortunate. And you don't need five meals a day. You can eat three meals a day. You don't need two houses or three houses. You just need a nice one. I mean, so this this ambition and this appetite can really hurt your, I think, hurt your psyche and your soul. And many people don't realize that 
most of us are abundant you know like abundance is all that perception of having more than you need and yes. we all have that but now with how society has been there are levels of luxury you know like there's this ultra high luxury there's this high luxury then there's low luxury there's so many levels of luxury that we think that those are the things we need but we don't need them we just need right. to survive for survival we have whatever we need and we have more than that actually but people don't realize that yeah i, I agree yeah there's there's always the more you know you get a bigger car and you know, I got a six-year-old car. It's a very nice car. I'm going to have it for four more years. I usually spend about 10 years uh, with, with my cars. I never bought a new car in my life mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you drive it off the lot and it's lost 20% in, in one mile. So I, I buy used cars, very nice cars, but they're used. And so I try to manage my appetites. And a lot of the the clients that I have, um, th- that's hard sometimes. Their appetites are getting a hold of them as opposed to them choosing what their aspirations are. And no, one, I don't think anyone needs a second or third home personally, but that's my own personal philosophy. But that's a sign of success for some people. You know, if you don't belong to the country club, if you don't going to Switzerland twice a year, I mean, these people all talk and it's all status and accomplishment and look at me and pretty unhappy. A lot of them, some of them are happy, but most of them are not. That's the thing, you know, like procrastination has lines in, in itself as well. Like if people want to like, achieve so much and they're saying that i'm not able to achieve much so i'm procrastinating that's that's bullshit you know like you're doing the stuff you're working how much do you expect yourself to work you know you're working you're like you know you're working every day but you still think that you're procrastinating just because you're not achieving this super high goal that you have right and beating yourself up yeah that's just that's just too much you know like there are people out there who want to get like this big mansion and they're not working enough and they're not in making enough money. So they think that they're procrastinating or they don't have time management. Like, right. What's the point here? You know, yep. why are you trying to go for that mansion? You're already working more than you should work. There's no point doing that. You're not procrastinating here. Exactly. Exactly. So one thing, there's one thing I'd like to share with your with your listeners. That's OK. And you kind of touched upon it or the motivation piece and discipline. This notion of willpower that a lot of people think that you got a big bucket of willpower and you can just, you know, they say, oh, I wish I was stronger and have more discipline and grit. Mm-hmm. And the research is very clear about this. Willpower is a very, very limited resource. It's like a battery that runs out or a muscle that gets tired. Mm-hmm. And it's also a very small resource. So procrastinators have to use willpower, not beating themselves up. I don't have enough. They have to use it strategically. And that's usually at the beginning of a task that they don't like that first 15 minutes kind of gutting it out chewable chunks 15 minutes and then use your willpower and punch through it or at the end of a task and that's where i have to apply uh, my strategies and my willpower when i do my income tax i'm pretty good at the beginning and pretty good at the middle it's the last mile that's the longest for me and i know that about myself so i have to really apply my willpower but also do it in chewable chunks and then the last thing I do is, and this is this could work for anyone who has kind of a, an aggravating task or a noxious task, is something called temptation bundling. And that's when you marry something nice with something you don't like to do. So if you have to clean out the garage, you might listen to the sports station. Or if you have to do a lot of ironing, you might watch a movie, right? So, and for me, what I like is sports. So when I do my income taxes, uh, I watch sports and I do in 15 minute increments. Now it takes me three times as long 
but I don't have the stress I used to have and I get it done and I get it done. And that's the key. The key is not in the time frame, but obviously in, in our country, you have to get it done by April the 15th or 14th. And um, so I start a little early to say the least, mm-hmm. but uh, watching the sports, um, there's no anxiety, no stress. I'm enjoying it. And I can do a page, take a break, do a page. So marrying something positive with something that you don't like, it called temptation bundling is a really powerful little strategy. Yeah. Now, now that I think about it, like I heard about this before as well, before we had this like recording and stuff. And now that I think about it, it's like classical conditioning, right? You're, you're taking something that you like emotionally and gives you that pleasure and you're coupling it with something that you don't like. So you're conditioning yourself to do that thing more often. Absolutely. And oftentimes if you work with somebody else, like when I walk, uh, I walk every day, I do 10,000 steps unless I'm on the road, which is a little bit more difficult. But when I'm in my home office, I walk 10,000 steps. And three days a week, I do it with a friend of mine. And so we go around and we, you know, we talk about the world and problems and this and that and the other thing. It's enjoyable walk. I get four to five miles in there and I have about a 95% success rate in the 10. I can't run anymore because I'm an older guy and I got bad hips. But that uh, doing it with somebody else, uh, you know, you have things like Smokers Anonymous, you have Weight Watchers, you have writing groups, getting support from other people can help you with your procrastination habit. Absolutely. The relational support can be very positive. Yeah, there's there's some active interaction there, you know, even with learning stuff, you know, if you want to learn something, if you want to apply it in your life, have active interactions, you know, have community calls, have a buddy system where you yes. can interact with another person and use that knowledge. That's a very good way to actively interact and actively use the things that you learn. That's a great thing. With a procrastinate, what you have to ask, if you're taking on a new task, um, there's going to be mistakes because learning has a price t- attached to it. And this is part of the learning process. It's, it's not a bad thing. And then ask yourself, who do I know in my world that knows something about this? And then go ask him. I bet you 90% of the time you ask somebody, now I'm not talking if you go to the president of your country or the mayor of the town, but if you go to ask somebody, and I, I mean, I've interviewed probably 5,000 leaders over the last 30 years. I've been rejected about 10 times, right? I mean, most people have goodwill and they like to help. So always ask who else can help me. And then we have this whole world of YouTube and, you know, TED Talks. Yeah. Zip in a, a thing, and all of a sudden there's nine. I'm doing some research now, and all I'm doing is TED Talks and YouTube uh, videos on this particular topic, and I'm going to write a paper around it. And I'm because I always do the research really intensely. I'm trying to learn to do it differently. So ask yourself, where can I get the information to do a difficult task? Who can uh, help me? And you mentioned earlier about having kind of a buddy. Yeah, really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. So like something that I was thinking about as well is that it said that procrastination is a habit. So let's say that we are trying to build a new habit. Let's say going to the gym. So there is this time that you can say that procrastination comes in the way of working on that habit of going to the gym. So is it like, does it overpower that habit? Can a habit overpower another habit? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of research now. Uh, James Clear has written a book uh, called uh, uh, habits and uh, there's uh, Charles Duhigg is also uh, somebody who's a real good resource around that. You can replace a habit, a bad habit, quote unquote, with a with a good habit. But if you're going to say go to the gym, so a lot of procrastinators, oh, I'm going to go there five days a week. How about doing it one day a week, and then the second week you do it two days a week, and the third week you do it three days, right? Maybe with a friend. At the end of a month or two or six weeks, 
then you've got your five days it's ingrained you got a buddy maybe or a friend that you can do work out with and being more reasonable about your expectations you know over time you'll look forward to doing the exercise because you get endorphins and dopamine and just feel good about yourself and lose some weight so uh but you can't replace a, a bad habit with a good habit yeah definitely in a way that it does, the bad habit doesn't overpower the good habit right exactly because it's there right that that whole inkling like oh do i do i get up at six o'clock in the morning maybe i go to back to hit the sleep button i mean everyone has that kind of feeling once in a while and uh what we there's a little technique you can use because i try to get up every morning at six i tried at five but it would, it, i was tired by noon so i said well i just want to get up around six it's a natural time but once in a while i'll do oh let me just get another 15 minutes and there's a little technique and i'm trying to remember the name of the person she came up with the five, four, three, two, one. You kind of count backwards, and then in that one, you do something. And so for me, that would be jumping out of bed, and it works about eighty percent of the time. So it's uh, if there's something noxious you want to do, just say, okay, the clean the dishes. I don't want to do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Do one dish. Just do one dish and see what happens. Yeah, that that sounds like a really good trick. You know, that can really help a lot of people. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. And something that I've also heard is like there are there are like two habits, good habit and a bad habit, and both of them have a core. Now the reason why bad habits are much more appealing is because they give instant happiness, yes. instant dopamine and stuff. Positive habits don't do that. They take their own sweet time. And after afterwards, once you're like on that climb towards that good habit and you're doing it consistently, then you're gonna get the dopamine and stuff. But with the bad habits, you're gonna get it instantly. That's why people are more appealed by it. Yep. That's what I talked about earlier when we were talking, that, that, that instant relief. It doesn't take 10 minutes to feel better. You're better within two seconds. Yeah. Oh, I, I step away from the, the, the noxious task. And so that's, you know, that's the habit that's really, really hard to break. Now, one of the things that we do know is that if you can learn to meditate, mm-hmm. and meditate just kind of watching your breathing and watching your thoughts and just letting them go by, which is not easy to do. I mean, I meditate for about 10 minutes a day. I tried to do 20, it just didn't work for me. I started wandering all over the place. But what it teaches you is you don't have to react to your thoughts, right? Oh, this is a horrible task. Okay, just let that go by, right? So it takes a little bit of discipline, but meditation has lots of very positive attributes and benefits. If you can learn to uh, meditate for 10 or 15 minutes, you can neutralize the procrastination habit because you learn to, I don't have to be the victim of my thoughts and feelings. I can just watch them. They call them surfing your feelings. Yeah, definitely. Like let they let those feelings pass. Many times, what we do is that if we have certain feelings, we'll think that pushing it down is going to help. But yes. what it does is that it just makes you a ticking time bomb. Nothing else. Right, right, right. It's still there. It's still there, to say the least. That's fun. Yeah, that's the thing. Definitely. So something else I also wanted to talk about is that all of us, anyone who has done something good in their life and has reached to a certain level, always have like a wake up call kind of thing before they get to these like milestones and stuff. You have written a book and you have also, you know, so much about procrastination and stuff and you have worked on yourself on that stuff. So like I wanted to talk about how did it like start? What was your wake up call to go to that place? That's a great question. Well, about 30 years ago, I was in a doctoral program and um, I finished the coursework and the exams. And then I was, quote, writing my dissertation. But I wasn't writing my dissertation. I was reading my dissertation. I was doing tons of research, tons of research, more research, which is a very sophisticated and subtle form of procrastinating. And then my the chair of my committee 
called me and I was asking for an extension another year. And he said, uh, Pat, you haven't started writing anything. And you've done enough research, start writing. And, you know, if you don't finish at least two chapters in this next year, you're out of this program. And it was like, wow. I mean, after all the time, money, resources, thinking, passing the exams. And so I asked some friends who had finished their dissertation, what the heck did you do? Because I was just caught in this spiral. You know, I saw a therapist and it didn't help me much. I wasn't afraid of success. I wasn't afraid of failure. That wasn't, those are the two kind of big reasons that people talk about. But each person had two or three little tools and techniques that they used to get through their dissertation. And I, I, I found that fascinating because I had never thought about that. And uh, so I borrowed one from each of them. There was four of them. There was, I had three of them that I kind of said, oh, these make sense to me. And I used those and in that first semester. I, I knocked off three chapters. So they really helped me uh, really, really manage my procrastination. I always had the tendency to kind of put it off, the writing put it off, but these real three protocols really helped me a lot. So the, that's where it started all from. Yep. Yeah, I was I was going to get kicked out of a program after a lot of work. I said, I got to do something differently. That's, that's great. So as you start to climb ahead and you start to use these strategies and get better and get better at working with your procrastination and stuff, when did the idea occur to you of writing the book? Well, when COVID hit, my I, I'm on the road a lot. And when COVID hit, no one was on the road. And so I'm sitting in my office and uh, I looked at the shelf and I, I got three boxes of, of notes on procrastination because every time I heard an idea, I'd write it down or I'd tear off an article and I'd kind of keep it because I wanted to have as many tools as possible. And then I was talking to a colleague and friend of mine and he says, I think there's a book in there, don't you? And I said, yeah, I think there might be a book in there. So I kind of spent a week kind of organizing some things. Uh, I didn't do eight hours a day. I just kind of spent one hour chunks and then did something nice. And uh, you, well, that's another point. You should always have something nice to look forward to during your day, not just work, work, work. You've talked about that uh, uh, before, not just work, work, work. And after about a week, I kind of had, you know, I think I got, I got a sense of what this book could be. And I wrote it for procrastinators because procrastinators will not, sometimes will not begin the book at the beginning. They'll just kind of page through it or they'll start at the back. Yeah, and yeah. every chapter is its kind of own chapter. So no matter where you start, you'll get some good ideas. So being a procrastinator, I said, well, how would I, that's how I read. I don't go from page one to page 300. I kind of bounce around a little bit. And so it's, it's designed for that kind of mindset. When you bounce around, you grab page 37, there'll be something you can use. That really makes a lot of sense. And it's really helpful, you know, like people don't have time to read the entire book, you know, very few people read and complete the entire book in itself, you yep. know, which is so much of work and dedication and how, broad, you know, the other authors like write the book, they'll, they'll just stuff a lot of stuff in it. And, you know, like you just keep reading, keep reading. You won't get to the part where you actually have something that you can use. Yes. And that's, these are all practical things and they've worked. Yeah. So you, know, you spend 10 minutes max and you'll get a couple of ideas. And if you do get a chance to read this book or any other book on procrastination, it goes back to our original kind of conversation. Don't sit there and say, oh, I like this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea. And I'm going to try them all because you're going to fail. But if you find one that you intellectually go, ooh, that's interesting, or it feels good, ooh, that just resonates, just try one little tool or technique, and you'll be successful. And then you do 
another one in a couple of weeks and then another one. And if you have four or five little tools and practices, you'll manage your procrastination very, very effectively. Exactly. You know, like people have this thing that if that works for someone else, that's going to work for me. But that's not always true. You know, you got to find your own thing. You're a different person. That person is a different person. You're going to have to search what works for you, but you got to try it all. You know, you got to try everything. You got to see Absolutely. what works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, getting advice from people is nice. Like with my friends years ago and I asked them what they did, they all had two or three ideas, but there's only three that said, well, those three really make sense to me. The other ones were, worked for them, but these three worked for me also. And so find what works for you. Don't worry about the theories or what the experts say. Use your own common sense and trust your instincts and use something for you because you're different than I am, very different than I am. And some of the practices I use might not work with you at all. So just try some other ones. And there's plenty of, I think there's over 100, 120 different little ideas in there that you can use. Yeah, definitely. And the most important thing is don't quit. You know, like if you, if you do something and it doesn't work out, you know, like many people have this thing that they will do it and then they'll be like, nah, it doesn't work, probably doesn't work, you know, and then they'll go back. Right. We say, if you can try it for a week, you'll know if it works for you or not, not just a day. You know, I mean, trust your instincts. If you try something and say, oh, this is getting me aggravated, well, you wouldn't do it. But if you can try it for a week, you'll have a pretty good idea if it can work or not. And if it doesn't, you know, use another idea. There's plenty of ideas in there. Definitely. Same thing goes with opportunities, you know, like give every opportunity to try, at least give it a, you know, shot. And then afterwards, once you're like convinced that it's not going to work, go for something else. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's an interesting notion that, um, that a lot of procrastinators, uh, I think, make the mistake of, oh, I call it the shoulds. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I should need certain things. I shouldn't, I should be smarter. I should be working more hard. And the shoulds kill you. They're, they're just, they're just mean. And where I got caught many years ago, and it's changed the way I think about things, is all each one of the people I talked to who had finished their dissertations all talked about rewarding themselves. And I said, really, shouldn't I be tough enough and more disciplined enough not to have to reward myself? And they said, no, rewards work. My apologies. Sorry, we thought that phone was off. Um, and I said, really? And they said, yes, rewards work. So I did some research on it. And the research is very strong about rewards really are good. And we have the shoulds that, oh, I should be more mature. I shouldn't read rewards. But rewards, whether they be a walk with a friend, it could be a lunch with a person, walk in nature, could be a glass of wine. I mean, whatever those rewards are, they're good for you. And this is where you can do your own personal reward system. After you do a 15-minute thing or an hour thing or finish a task, knowing that the reward is waiting for you is a powerful motivator. And, and oftentimes, the anticipation of the reward is even better. I know you say, oh, my birthday party's coming, my birthday party, I'm so excited, so excited. So and then it's a nice party, but it's not as exciting as you thought it would be. The anticipation itself can be really a powerful motivator. So, I, and it's something that took me a while to get around, but rewards really work. And I try not to should myself as I used to all the time. Rewards work better than punishment. Many people have this yes. thing that they will they will try to do something. If they don't do it, they're going to punish themselves with something. And that does not really work. You know, it just makes you more depressed and not want to do that thing again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Well, that's true. It's very true. So rewards, whatever, and, and you know, it, they don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be long, but whatever you can do to reward yourself for a job well done, 
And there's a woman out of Harvard, uh, Teresa Mabale, very powerful academic. And it's called The Progress Principle is the name of her book. It's also in the Harvard Business Review. She's the one who's done the a lot of the deep research on how powerful rewards can be. And can use those in your both your personal life and your professional life and just get rid of the shoulds. That's really great. That's really great. So let's say like, you know, if you want to talk to the audience and let's say that there is a person particularly who's having a lot of problem with procrastination and who's in this like chronic state of procrastination where he's not able to even like, let's say that, you know, his life is being affected, his daily day-to-day -day life is being affected and he has this condition where he's not able to do anything and he's just like on the bed and he's just, you know, laying around all the time and just doing stuff that he doesn't, shouldn't be doing and he doesn't have to do it. And he's not getting anything done during the day. And it's really affecting his lifestyle. It's affecting his health, his mental well-being. So what would you, what kind of advice would you give to that kind of person to start him off on a better direction? Well, they better have some small goals, right? Whatever that is. That might be just getting out of bed and taking a shower, right? I mean, there's some people who are, uh, who have depressed and also have a procrastination as a habit. There's a lot of people, about 3% of the population of ADHD. So that's another complexity with procrastination. But many of the tools and techniques we talk about in the book work for people with ADHD, uh, like uh, rewarding yourself works, having post-it reminders, those kinds of things there. So there's lots of things you can do. But if someone that you're describing, they might actually really benefit from some counseling and some therapy to find out because if you're depressed, you know, there's things going on in your brain that, you know, there are physiological kinds of things and using these tools and techniques might be helpful, but I'd rather deal with what's the emotional stuff going on in your life that, um, and in having some kind of why, you know, what, what's going to get me out of bed? What's, what's something that I want to achieve in my life or contribute and give back to people and make a difference and be distinctive. Figuring that out might get that person motivated to start doing some things, but starting out small, and being kind to yourself is probably the two things that I'd give them advice on. But some people do need some therapy and some counseling. And that's not a judgment on my, my part. I think therapy and counseling are very, very important support processes. And people should consider those, especially if they're in bed and the lights are done. And should never work in your bedroom, by the way, because there's so many distractions. You can take a nap and turn the TV on. Never work in your, and now you can read, a, you know, a detective story in bed. But don't try to work in bed because the distractions are everywhere. And procrastinators tend to be very susceptible to distractions. And that could be the dog is barking, the kids are talking, there's some music over here, there's a group of people talking. There could be the email, ding, 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 ding. Just I just had my phone ring for some reason. Um, and those distractions really get a, the procrastination habit going on. And the email stuff. Oh, I wonder who's written me an email in the last 10 minutes. You know, I mean, people are nutty about yeah. that sometimes. Yeah, like I have heard like something about productivity. The biggest distraction is the Gmail, you know, is like, oh, yeah. you know, whenever you're doing a task, you just think like, let's just check my inbox and if there's a new mail or not. And that's where like your entire productivity goes. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of research done on how our, our email systems and our smartphones, uh, you know, are really attract uh, distraction magnets. Yeah. And uh, there's a book uh, a couple years old. It's called Irresistible. And it really opened my eyes to how technology really has invaded, can invade your life. And these are all scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists, and they got together to design these machines to be addictive, right? That's the notion there. So knowing that, I said, oh, my God, I got to use this as a tool and not have it use me. And so I'm pretty, I mean, I have a smartphone. I obviously have computers and Zoom meetings and things like that. 
but I don't let technology drive me. I use it for my purposes. And that is not easy. But when I realized that these people got together and we're not going to name famous companies, we know who they are, that they're really designed because they know a lot about our brains to be addictive. I mean, a lot of us use our, our, our smartphones 250 times a day. I mean, that's like five, six, seven times an hour, 10 times an hour. I mean, that's what's going on in our lives. We got to be, you know, connected and, and attuned to what's, what's going on. In fact, there was a lot of studies done where they asked some people who uh, were procrastinators, could you put your smartphone in another room? And something like 60% of them said, no way for one hour. That's all one hour. They couldn't do it. It caused them anxiety and overwhelm and things like that. So our smartphones are very positive things. There's no doubt we live in an extraordinary world, but we want to make sure they're working for us and not, not against us. Apparently the swiping is so addictive for so many people, you know, like as soon as they get into it and they do it daily, they're stuck. It's going to be really hard to get out of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I was writing my dissertation, we didn't have these kinds of things. So you had to go up the stairway and pull out the books and, but now everything's at your fingertips and you can, I could be exploring stuff in China within the next 10 seconds. And I'm in Africa the next time and then I'm doing uh, Buenos Aires. I mean, it's, it, you can explore the world and then find out three hours later, you haven't learned too much, but you've wasted three hours of time. So it's, it's not an easy thing and not an easy discipline to develop, but using it as a tool for you and not the other way around is really important. Definitely. Like nowadays, like whenever I get out, I feel like the, I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone on up his, you know, face. Everyone's walking with, you know, their phones up on their like face and they're doing something with their phones everywhere. You know, sometimes you feel that you're, you're the only person who's, you know, seeing the world for what it is. You know, everyone's just stuck in their phone. And that's a really sad, sad feeling, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting. In China, they have a lane in their, in, in their streets and pedestrians that are designated for people who, who are looking at their smartphones. Wow. I mean, that's millions of people because they're not looking. They're just looking at their smartphone and da, 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 and they have particular lanes with barriers, you know, so they don't bump into people and things like that. I mean, I, when I read that, I said, oh, my God, it's tens of millions of people. And they have particular walking pedestrian lanes for these people who are on their smartphones all the time, not not observing what's going on or nature or friends or anything like that. It's just it's something to be very conscious of. Yeah, like two things that you shouldn't take when you're on a vacation, phone and camera, like seriously. Like exactly. many people, they just miss the scene and they miss all the beautiful moments just because they're on their camera taking pictures of the thing that they'll never ever see and they'll rarely <laughs> see. What's the point? Well, it, it's, it's hard for folks to, to not have all these technological wonders around them, but if they were to do it for 20 minutes, a walk in nature, I mean, and without your smartphone and without a camera and just listen to birds right where i live right now there's about five inches of snow on the ground it's beautiful yeah. it's absolutely beautiful and so enjoy that enjoy those moments because there's no guarantee that you're going to have a lot of them i mean that's the one of the mythologies of the brain there's an old saying like uh, you think you're going to have enough time until you don't and i'm much more cognizant of that being an older guy that uh, the days are numbered, the sundowns are coming. So how do I use my time and my mind and my heart in very positive and constructive ways and enjoy myself? I mean, joy is not expensive. I mean, talking with a good friend, taking a walk in nature, there's so many of these things that just are free that can really enhance your life in powerful ways. Yeah.
finding joy in little things is so important you know like just having a laugh for no reason it can be so empowering and can be like it makes you just like freshen up and stuff absolutely and you mentioned earlier about being grateful being grateful for your life is a very powerful thing and that makes your the body ch- changes the brain physiology changes just being grateful that you know you have friends in your life that you have a interesting life that you work hard and you play soft i mean just being grateful and having a gratitude journal. I know in a lot of years that I've worked with, you know, at the end of the day, jot down three things that they're they're grateful for the day. It's a, it's a discipline or a habit, as we talked about earlier. And he said it changes their perspective because a lot of things happen that we just kind of blur through as opposed to slowing down and saying, you know, that little interaction with Mary or Alice was really enjoyable. I really liked seeing her again. That would be going in your gratitude journal. Definitely. You know, like also another thing is that many people like have these schedules up and stuff. They have these like these software applications and stuff to handle and micromanage their stuff. It's like you're not using your brain. Like, can can't you just keep it in your head? It's so important to use your mind on these things. Otherwise, they'll be, the mind will become dull. Take a mental picture of things rather than just you know keep them on an app and let the app do the work for you. Right. Yeah, mental acuity and developing your brain. It, it's uh, learning a new language, uh, learning something different. In fact, one of the things we talk about leaders who tend to be a little bit arrogant is they learn something new. Because if you're learning something new, you're going to make mistakes, and it's very humbling. So, but keeping your mind alive, you know, with different things, and that's the, that's where I think technology can be pretty powerful because you can have access to so many topics and subjects, but not just kind of engorging on them, really kind of being thoughtful about them and learning them. Definitely, definitely. So as like now the episode's coming to an end. So yep. if you want to like say something which can be like a point that the audience can note and something that they can move ahead with when it comes to dealing with procrastination or something, something like that can completely recap the things that you have done and just put a big like big bold sign on it so that they can remember it. What would you say to the audience? All right. Well, I, I, let me just share two. All right. One okay. is. Um, it's important to make your progress visible. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be done with a big chart. Uh, you know, you got your agenda. And then once you've done that item, scoring it off, um, but making your progress visible. And in our country, we have something called the United Way. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but they have a, a thermometer. They raise money for great causes. And the thermometer starts in the bottom. It's a little bit red. And as it gets 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, it's a powerful symbol. It's 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 making your progress visible in any way you can. And what I do is I have post-its. I, I work five hours a day and 30-minute chunks with 10 minutes breaks in between. And I have a board with across the room where I have these post-its. So that would be 10 post-its I do every day. And every time I finish my 30 minutes of reading or research or even working like this, I get up because I have a timer, ding. I go up and I tear, I stand up and go across the room and tear that one post-it up. And it's like feeling like you hit a great baseball or a football. I mean, it's just wonderful. And as the the day progresses, I have less and less post-its and I get more and more motivated. So making your progress visible, big checks is really helpful. And then the last thing is, is, is it's a big myth that Mark Twain, who is a very famous American writer many years ago, he said, if you have two frogs, always eat the big frog first. And I think that's a huge misdirection because procrastinators will never eat the big frog first but they might eat the small frog. So get the small frog, do the chewable chunks. Remember that temptation bundling, marry something nice with it, put a little sauce on it, do it with a friend. I mean, all those little tools and techniques. 
and then do it over time. You don't have to sit down and eat the little frog or the little task all at one chunk. You could do it over time. Those little disciplines will make you very successful. And then once you finish the small frog, quote unquote, the task, now I've got success, I've got experience, I've got strategies that work. I can have high confidence, I can tackle the big frog. Those two are the ones I'd like to leave you with. I hope that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. So I hope you guys just, you know, remember that, write it out somewhere or just, you know, like rewatch it until like you get it in your head. And that's what's gonna really help you guys. And go check out Patrick's book. I'm gonna leave the link down in the description. Yep and that's about it so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and i hope you really got some perspective you know some good perspective you got some good ideas to use some strategies that you can use when it comes to procrastination and i really hope that you guys can learn from this and get something out of it you know it's all that this these podcast episodes are all about is getting something out of it and working on your life every single day and one person at a time you know so i hope you guys enjoyed this and I'll see you on my next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ronnie. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Yeah.